0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That would be me. I am the chief listener and question asker on the show. I'm so glad we have this time to spend together. I hope your day's been going well. We're getting close to the end of the month. And I always uh, look forward to the start of a new month. Although I'm not as excited because I've been busy trying to organize my fall fashion wardrobe. Which is now going to have to uh, be put in the closet. For my winter fashion wardrobe, because I've heard it's going to be like what did they say? I think I heard the snow word next week, which I don't really look forward to. uh, But that's okay. It's I live in Minnesota, so it's going to be it's going to be chilly, and that's what we come to accept life in Minnesota. And if you are um, having a little wave of dread about that as well, because you know the cold is not always that fun, and gets darker sooner, but We're going to be very optimistic today on the show. We're going to talk about wonderful things. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Having said that, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to talk economics with Greg Kasky. be back in 60 seconds.
1: Faith Radio has a long history of presenting gifted preachers delivering God's Word daily across our stations. But all of these messages were first delivered in the local church where these pastors shepherded their flocks in addition to having a radio ministry. So during Clergy Appreciation Month, we are especially honored to recognize and thank the thousands of pastors across our communities who faithfully serve their congregations and many of our listeners week by week. We thank you for your commitment to the gospel and God's word and for your diligence and study and compassion and caring for your church. We're grateful to play a supporting role in helping your church family stay focused on the Lord and His word. And we believe in the power of the gospel to change lives and pray that you will be fully equipped to do this vital work in your congregation and community. Pastors, we honor you. And even though Faith Radio is a listener-supported ministry and relies on your gifts, we encourage you to give to your local church first. They're worthy of your investment and involvement, and we want to see the local church strong.
0: So my guest is a musician and an economist, and what a cool combination that is. Greg Kasky is in his second year of economics Ph.D. fellow at the F.A. Hayek program in philosophy, politics, and economics at George Mason University, Greg, nice to have you on the show.
2: Uh, Bill, it's very nice to be back on the show, and uh, I didn't know that you had anything except for a winter wardrobe uh, <laughs> up in Minnesota.
0: That's pretty much it. We have that one nice day here in, in Minnesota, and that's when you run around in a T-shirt. So,
2: Yeah, well, it is nice to get up in a scarf and you know, feel snuggly, but except not when it's 364 days of the year. That's true. Uh, but, that's yeah, true. I have very warm uh, perceptions of uh, Minnesota and its people, even though it is not very warm there.
0: That's nice. And you're at George Mason University, and that is in Virginia?
2: Yeah, just outside of D.C., yes. I'm okay. uh, Fairfax, Virginia, about 25 minutes or five hours, depending on traffic, uh, yeah. from D.C.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, economics fascinates me because everybody talks about it all the time, and I don't know if a lot of people understand it very well.
2: Uh, yeah, I would say that not a lot of people understand it very well. But that is of no fault of their own, because there's a lot of counterintuitive thinking uh, that goes into thinking like an economist.
0: Okay. now numbers have come out today and the GDP is at one point nine. So, you know, I think China's growth rate is at about six percent for the third quarter. Mm -hmm. So is the U.S. economy doing great?
2: Yeah, Uh, Yeah. so these numbers are always to be taken – I mean, these are the best metrics we have as far as looking at uh, national economic growth and comparisons of uh, nations in terms of their own economic growth. But indeed, there's a number of holes and things that are misleading about uh, GDP and these sort of indicators. But uh, those sort of concerns aside, uh, the comparison that you just made between China and the U.S. makes a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, if you start from the bottom uh, compared to the top, you can show a lot more improvement in your growth in one period if you're starting from a position that's behind, right? Mm -hmm. So the Chinese have gotten fantastically wealthy compared to the past as they've opened up their economy to uh, private property rights, international trade, entrepreneurship, things like that compared to um, their truly uh, communist system, which is really not a thing anymore except for a name. So that being said, if you introduce those things when you're starting from a very, very low economic position, then you should expect to have much higher growth. So this is what we call uh catch-up growth, and this is predicted by uh, pretty standard uh, macroeconomics models. You know, it's, uh, Our economy is $19 trillion, right, in terms of what we produce in goods and services in the United States, and to experience 2% growth with an economy that huge, I think, is to some extent an achievement in and of itself.
0: Yeah. When I th- think of China's growth at 6%, does that mean anything? Because how much transparency is there in China's
1: books?
2: Yeah. So I was just talking to uh, a Chinese scholar uh, yesterday who, you know, he is at uh, the University of Pittsburgh. And we were just talking about this because I was doing some research in their uh, Bureau of Statistics last year. And yeah, it's these things like every other country are to be taken with, uh, with a grain of salt. But the, the, the thing is, you know, having having been there, you can, to some extent, view progress with your own eyes, and your eyes tell you a story that, oh, you know this place is wealthier, and there's more productivity, and people are doing better on average than they have been in the past. So, to some extent, like you, you, if if the numbers pass the eye test, and that's not a, a principle that holds all the time, as we can get into, um, I, there there's some truth to it, but there is also some reason to be. Uh, uh, you know, suspicious of numbers like that, particularly if they uh, persist over a long period of time, uh, because that is a high rate of growth, uh, particularly to sustain over a long period of time. And there's lots of concerns there uh, about overinvestment in uh, housing construction and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty fantastic growth for them. And you know, we we shouldn't really look at this as a competition because you should think of this as well. You know, there are lots of uh, middle-income or poor Chinese people who are becoming better off by this, right? So we shouldn't see uh, economic competition as, oh, well, they're they're doing great, and that comes at the expense of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No,
2: that's not necessarily the case.
0: Yeah. So, Greg, when we're trying to do some analysis and what are some indicators we can look at, would, uh, like, for example, the, the housing market and its strength would be an indicator, right? Uh, manufacturing sure. uh-huh. would be an indicator. Yep. What, what What would be, like, the top three or four that would— Would say, yes, we have a good economy based on these reports.
2: Yeah, so once again, right, I I think people that make such strong, definitive claims about what's going to happen in the future based off of macroeconomic indicators are uh, to some extent selling you a wolf ticket. Like, nope, you know, like a lot of people say, oh, a recession is coming and then it doesn't come. And the one time that they say it's coming every, you know, whatever it happens and they're looked at looked upon as a genius, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people make great um, proclamations about these things. But again, these are estimates of much more complex phenomena that are happening in the world. So with that said, the things that are looked at um, the most are the jobs report, you know, all the economics nerds like myself pay attention to the jobs reports that comes out at the start of every month uh, in terms of how many private sector jobs were added. Um, So in October, that was 125,000. Although, uh, later in the month, they revise it uh, to get the true net um, uh, estimate because you know jobs are created, but jobs are also uh, lost. So, for instance, in September, uh, the initial estimate was somewhere north of 100,000. They revised it down to 93,000 to account for uh, the creative destruction that happens, right? Because there's right. there's net uh, there, the net needs to be taken into uh, consideration, and then. Some other things that are important to look at are, for instance, the Federal Reserve, um, which uh, we were talking about uh, before we got on here, just uh, lowered rates. And uh, they lowered the uh, target range of the federal funds rate to uh, 1.5% to 1.75%, right? So sort of a myth that people think, like the Fed does not directly control interest rates, but that is uh, the rate at which local banks lend to one another based on um, the relative difficulty of borrowing from the Fed, right? So Mm -hmm. they want to make it easier for local banks to lend to one another uh, based upon the conditions at which those banks can uh, consult the Fed if they need to. So that rate was just lowered. And one of the things that we talk about uh, a lot in macro, particularly in the George Mason scene, is this notion of uh, Austrian business cycle theory, right? In other words, uh, the true interest rate, is supposed to reflect the time preference of savers and investors, right? So if many people in an economy want to save, they're indicating, well, we're willing to put off uh, consumption in the present for uh, we want to let you engage in investment projects and we'll make a return off of that, right? But if that's not happening, then you are – sorry, if that is happening, you should expect to see a low interest rate. But if people aren't indicating – a um a preference to save, then you would expect to see a high interest rate, meaning that people want to consume now, mm-hmm. so given that the rate is lowered to one point five to one point seven five percent that would indicate that people are willing to save if the economy was truly unhampered but um obviously that is not the case because we have a uh, central bank which uh is central in uh, in, in these considerations. So the question that is interesting to me is, uh, is this a true signal that's being sent to entrepreneurs and investors, right? Because as the interest rate is lowered, uh, that gives them more leeway to engage in longer horizon uh, production projects like housing um, investment, things like that. Housing starts is another thing that's looked at as an indicator. Um, what are, are How many new housing starts are happening on a month to month basis, mm-hmm. right? And of course, 10 years ago, um, that was uh, and it's a much more complicated issue than this, but uh, truly the interest rate was uh, not what it was perceived to be in actuality. Um, people were uh, drawn into projects that were um, – Uh, much longer time horizon and taking much more investment than the economy could actually support. And that has to do with mixed signals uh, uh, being sent by the central bank. And that is not just a phenomena that is uh, relative to the United States. Uh, That would be everywhere where there's a central bank.
0: Yeah, well, you're giving me a lot to think about, Greg. Let me take a little break. We'll come right back. Greg Kasky is my guest. We'll be back in 90 seconds. He's my guest. He's in his second year economics fellow at the F.A. Hayek program. I said that right, didn't I?
2: That is correct, yes. Friedrich A. Hayek Fried- Friedrich 1974.
0: Yeah. And where is Friedrich from?
2: Uh, he would be from Austria, right? So there's a <clears throat> group of economists that uh, came up in the uh, late 19th century, early part of the 20th century, Uh, that were revolutionary in their thinking, and he is a major part of that. And we uh, prioritize the study of his works uh, in our program uh, for sure.
0: All right, let me try to just try to ask some practical questions. When you hear that unemployment rate is at a record low, and then you get a report that the jobs report has stalled, I go, well, maybe, is it because everyone's got a job?
2: Yeah, so certainly the unemployment rate being low is a is a good indicator, and also i would add before uh before getting into this that i don't think that a, a you know a positive or low unemployment rate like this has to do much with any president or regime or anything uh like that uh i i think that it's a it's a mistake to view the economy as something that's led in the order of uh of like a military unit uh, or something like that uh so anyway, that that's sort of besides the point. But yeah, I think that the, the more wise thing to do, uh, like we referenced in the in the previous segment, is you can't take the first of the month jobs report numbers as as gospel. You need to wait for the revisions, right? Mm-hmm. And even even with those things, right, jobs isn't isn't everything, right? If there are other indicators of discordination, um, such as oh well, what's going on with these housing starts? They've they've stalled. For a couple of months in a row, and perhaps that has something to do um, with uh, uh, with the interest rate discoordination, Right? There's all these things are not independent uh, of one another, which is why it's so difficult to make accurate uh, macroeconomic conditions uh, our predictions. Rather, and these things need to be taken uh, with a grain of salt. But. The 3.7 percent unemployment rate is certainly a good thing. But like I said, that doesn't have anything to do with a particular uh, president or another one. That, that is a much more broad consideration.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was in 2012, uh, Donald Trump, the businessman at that point, was critical of the Obama administration for 1.9 percent uh, GDP. And now that's his result. And he's pretty excited about it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, there were some other examples. So for instance, uh, the most commonly reported unemployment rate is the one we were just talking about, which is uh, the 3.7 to 3.8% number. But there are a lot of other uh, measurements of unemployment if you, excuse me, if you make the category more broad, right? So like to be included in this, that means that you're without a job and that you've looked for a job within the last month actively. And you're actively doing so. But what about the people that are employed that don't have enough work? Maybe they have a job, but they only have like 10 hours of work or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. If you include those people, then that number gets bigger. If you include people that are only seasonally employed, that number gets bigger, right? So uh, there's the U6 unemployment rate, which is the broadest of them. And that's not the one reported. But notably, um, (laughs) uh, before he was elected, uh, President uh, Trump was reporting the U6 rate in talking about the Obama economy. Uh, but he uh, reports the lower one when he's in office. And this isn't uh, relative to just him, uh, but this is a game that uh, a number of people have played. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Greg, when the U.S. Treasury Department is exploring a 50-year bond for the first time, what what is the thinking behind that as an economist?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> this is another example of sort of thinking that is uh, counterintuitive, right? Uh, people make... Uh, uh, the The notion of deficits gets a lot of airplay in, like, political punditry and talk radio and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but if a country can support an ongoing deficit, all that means is that the international community is willing and able to supply funds to that country, right? Because what is a bond except for an individual uh, lends their money? to that government so they so that government can do what it wants to um, in that time period, right? And then they pay that individual back interest, <clears throat> which, you know, when I was a kid, I would get really upset when my grandmother would give me a, a bond. I was like, this isn't money. What, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. So that, that was what is this
2: phony money? Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of a counterintuitive thing, right? So the 50-year, the of course, would, be, would give uh, the United States as a government some more like assurance, right? You can lengthen your time horizon as far as planning goes if individuals are willing to lend you this amount of money for that long period of time. And, of course, you would expect that to come with a higher interest rate. But relative – the the question that economists always ask is compared to what? And our our economy is not perfect, but uh, individuals around the world seem uh, willing and able and um, eager to invest their funds here rather than other places. So I think what you're seeing with this bond uh, proposal is an example of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the uh, the debt and they talk $22 trillion, it just seems like it's a, a, some kind of bizarre number that means virtually nothing to anybody. And nobody seems to want to do anything about it, but everybody complains about it.
2: Yeah, so this is precisely what we were just talking about. And yeah, this is the idea that like that obviously doesn't work for you as an individual, right? Like if your if your household finances are in such a situation that you're persistently in debt, that's not going to work out very well for you, right? You'll be foreclosed upon and you'll have other issues where mm-hmm. the bank's always trying to get in touch with you, right? Right. But the persistence of the United States, and of course, you know, we've had recessions and things like this, but uh, to the extent that there has not been a you know, broad-scale collapse or anything like that uh, does challenge the notion of how or how long can a country sustain this, right? And part of this has to do, excuse me, part of this has to do with what we were just talking about. Uh, these things can be sustained if. International investors are willing to supply their funds uh, to a country to do that, and some economists raise the question of uh, perhaps there's a growth threshold um, that is going to be hit as far as you know if your um, uh, if your debt grows to some extent, uh, perhaps you cannot, uh, as a country, rise above a certain uh, rate of economic growth, and I think that's something to be considered. Um, but, yeah, at this point, to be honest with you, I would say I'm not that worried about it, whereas I think a few years ago I would have said something uh, quite different. But our our experience only confirms that we can manage uh, such things. And I uh, wish – and it makes me uneasy to say that, I'll be honest with you – but uh, our experience seems to, co- uh, seems to confirm that. And it has a lot to do, I think, with inertia of – international investors and people that want to uh, support the United States out of their own self-interest to get a return on their uh, investments.
0: Mm -hmm. Greg, what is your uh, take on the younger generation and their attraction to socialism?
2: Yeah, that is not a good attraction. They should be attracted to something else. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's all I have to say about, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think this is sort of the essence of, uh, uh, of politics, right? You know, if if you engage in exchange in the marketplace, like, oh, I want to go buy, uh, what's like a Minneapolis food? What's the best food in Minneapolis?
0: Mm, well, let's see.
2: That's, We're known for cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. What, what, what about you guys?
0: I would say in Minneapolis, I I don't probably some kind the of casserole, some kind of casserole with with cornflakes on okay, the top yeah. and slivered oh. slivered green beans and a lot of creamy something.
2: And right. I'll be honest with you. That kind of sounds a little strange, but you know, uh, there's no. You asked, care, Greg. You whatever. asked. So, but when when you go to the market in Minneapolis to buy that thing that you just referenced, <laughs> yes. you know, you know that you are going to get that get that product when you exchange your um, your money to the to the vendor. It's a mutually beneficial exchange, and there's assurance of what is being exchanged. But it's a transition to the uh, political um, – if you want to think of politics as a, a sort of bizarre or a, a marketplace in and of itself, then what's sort of being sold? It's like an image or uh, a way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> whereby if the marketplace individual did not do- deliver those goods, they would suffer because there's the profit and loss test. People would stop going to them. But people can make political promises year after year after year. Not deliver those things, and still survive because their rhetoric is <clears throat> is appealing, um, and certainly it is appealing to think of the economy as something that you can control, and particularly when you infuse it with uh, moral considerations—that um, it's not only like a, a matter of policy, but it's a matter of like uh, alleviation of human suffering and things of that nature. Yeah, these sort of these sort of things are are attractive. Yeah, um, and. Uh, to people that want to see the world uh, become a, uh, a better place Yeah. Um, but I think the reality is that what we're dealing with are matters that are fundamentally more complex yeah. than any politician regardless of how intelligent they are Greg, thank- and regardless of their political persuasion Yeah. can solve
0: thanks for doing the show, it's great to talk to you again
2: really great to talk to you as well Bill and uh, stay warm up there
0: I will indeed, Greg Cassidy has been my guest we'll take a short break and be right back We are back, and I'm delighted to be interviewing uh, Anna Kendall. Her and her husband, Fred, wrote a book called Communication IQ, and there's seven life languages assessments, and I've been looking over them, and I'm trying to think which ones would be me, and I see a couple in there that are me, and I've got all kinds of questions now, so uh, let's not waste any more time. Anna, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Bill. Delighted to be here. And you are all of those. That's the amazing thing about the life languages. When you take our assessment, it shows how you score in your communication styles in all seven of them, just in descending order. So you've already got all of those. Oh, interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Now, Now,
0: some are going to be stronger than others, wouldn't you say?
3: Absolutely. You have your stronger ones. They start with one and they go down to seven. So, but because Jesus spoke all of these languages, so can you. And you would never want to try to live in your seventh language all the time, but you could go to that one when you need to communicate with someone who perhaps that's their first language. So the the thing about the life languages is designed, first of all, to help you understand yourself. And we feel like if you understand yourself, you can control yourself and then you can give of yourself which is what Jesus wants us to do.
0: Okay. Now, Anna, help guide me through this, because I know people are going to be interested in knowing what these seven life languages are. And if I have all seven of them, uh, I do want to share with listeners as much as we can, uh, just to give them an an overview. Um, Is that fair, or is that
3: a good place to start? Absolutely. Yeah. Love to do that. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, they start with three categories that we call the intelligences categories. So we all have three intelligences. The first is kinetic. And under that, there are two life languages. So the kinetic intelligence, these are men and women who go into actions. Their first response to life is to act. And the mover life language they like to make things happen, and the doer life language, they like to keep things going. Mm. So those are the, the two that are under that action category. Then there there is the emotive intelligence, and there are two life languages under that category. And the first is the influencer, and these are the people who are encouraging, outgoing, uh, you know, enthusiastic, positive. So their first reaction to life is emotive. And the second emotive language is the response responder. And these are the people who are warm, sensitive, nurturing, and compassionate. They both first respond to life with their emotions before they're aware of what the other uh, categories are. And then the third one, the third one is the the cognitive, and these are the people who think first. So, before they are aware of what their feelings are, before they go into action, they think about it. And under that intelligence category, there are three life languages. One is the shaper. This is the long-range planner, the strategist. The second one is the producer. This is the very resourceful uh, philanthropic person. And the third one is the contemplator. And these are the most brilliant people, but they may not tell you what they know because they're very quiet and complex and and uh, very calm and things about life. So they tend to need more space than the rest of us do. So those are the seven life languages under the three intelligence categories.
0: Now very interesting. Now I'm thinking of the movers and the doers, they're the probably the ones that uh drop into bed and fall asleep like within 30 seconds because they're just yeah, going all day so, long. Yes. And I'm thinking yes, that exactly. the influencers and the responders, they're the ones that seem to maybe loiter a little bit more and take more time with people and and mm-hmm. spend a little extra time. And then there's the thinkers. Right. The thinkers yes. the, and they seem to I bet want to get a little bit of extra alone time because they got to do their thinking
3: yes. yes that's absolutely right you're right on Bill absolutely
0: well, well you, you know the minute you said um, Anna that we have all of them, I thought okay this is cool because if this is how God has wired us then uh, we, we all right. under, we all should understand this um, um, yes and figure and, out
3: and none of exactly and none of us are prima donnas we can't say well you know i'm just a responder don't expect me to do that no no he gave us all of these life languages just like i said in descending order so that whatever the need is somewhere within us we can reach down and pull up what's needed to be able to minister in that particular area we're all wired differently but we all have all of these abilities and uh the, it's really interesting because when you when you get your profile, it helps you to see, now I understand myself. This is how God created me. And you've got these giftings and this creativity, and it's all for God's purposes. So it just helps you to be more comfortable with who you are, not trying to be somebody else, but say, wow, this is how God created me.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Now, Anna, are you and uh, Fred similar when it comes to these uh, no. life languages?
3: No, we're not. Now, we have the second—my uh, first life language is actually his second, so that's one where we can communicate on. But Fred's first life language is mover. Movers are the John the Baptist. Movers are Jesus throwing the money changers out. Mm-hmm. You, uh, the the movers would be Elijah. They're very they're very perceptive, they have great discernment, they see right and wrong and good and bad and they make things happen. So that's Fred's first language and mine is about number four. My my first language is influencer. Which is emotive, and the influencers are those who are in, excited, enthusiastic, positive, outgoing. They love to motivate people. They're, they would be like Peter in the Bible, where we say about influencers: they talk and talk and talk until they think of something to say. And that <laughs> <laughs> so that's the influence. So, but that's my first one, and that's Fred's second one. So we can communicate in that. It will slow down and and listen to one another. Uh so that's, that is that is an area that we can communicate. But when he's in his mover, I used to not understand that at all, you know, and he would be lead, follow, or get out of the way, and I'd take it personally. Mm. And, it, you know, so what the life languages help you to do is not take these things personally. You say, wait a minute, that's how God created him, or that's how God created her. It's not about me. It's about him or her being who they were created to be. And you can identify these languages in preachers and ministers and people you know, and your children and your mate. Uh, our book is written to the, the corporate uh, or the government uh, audience. So, because we've spoken in churches, we have um, certified trainers all over North and South America, and then we have, we have them all over Europe. So we have these coaches that go in and speak at churches and churches would then say, Gee, are the people say I'd like to take this to my workplace, but I can't take that and talk openly about the Lord. So we wrote Communication IQ, which has all of the biblical principles, but it's written to a secular audience. So you can read it and learn how to communicate with your spouse or your children, your family, but you can also take it to work and say, you know, this is why we're losing so many employees or this is why our employees are not productive because we're not communicating with each other. You see, Bill, most people are hired because of ability and education and experience. Most people are fired because of lack of communication skills and lack of character. And our book helps you learn to speak the character qualities of the Father and communicate in the ways that Jesus communicated.
0: That's fantastic, Anna. So, okay, let's talk about what, what might be some of the most common communication mistakes we make in our personal lives or maybe in our professional lives.
3: One of the the ones that I mentioned a moment ago is taking things personally. Okay. When it's not meant to be. Like movers can move through life so fast and doers can be so focused on what they're doing. They may miss some of the emotional things going on around them. It's not that they don't care, it's just that they're busy. They stop and look and listen and suddenly they can connect. Uh influencers can feel very neglected if you don't connect with them. They don't want you to spend maybe a lot of time with them, but they know they want to know Uh, they want you to know that they're, they're in a relationship with you and you can connect. Okay. Uh, Doers can feel misunderstood if they're not appreciated for all the things that they do so well. And we can take doers for granted because they do things so well. We just expect them to keep doing that, but they need to know that they're appreciated. Uh, the, the shapers, the contemplators, the producers, these thinkers, it's important for them to know that, you know, you're supportive of my vision and my plans and my purpose and my direction, and you appreciate the thought I give to making these things come together. Or you appreciate the thoughtfulness that I give into when I give you the perfect gift, which is what producers do. Mm -hmm. They'll give a perfect gift. And, you know, and they need to know you appreciate that thoughtfulness. And then the the contemplators, one of the ways that that they feel important to you is if they don't have to compete for your time and attention. Now, if you're living with someone who's a contemplator, which we have a son who's a contemplator, and Fred and I used to good talk, have the TV on, the opening mail, petting the dog, reading the paper, and feel like we were connecting, this contemplator would look at all that and see, I'm not going to compete with all that mm-hmm. and just walk away. And we didn't understand that. But he was experiencing rejection, not because we were rejecting him. We didn't understand how he received love. We didn't understand how to meet that need. So it can be so life altering for husbands and wives and children.
0: Oh, Anna, that's so interesting because you were going about your day being busy, multitasking and completely, Mm -hmm. completely open to hearing what he might have to say and dialoguing with him. And he was looking at mom and dad going, you're just too busy for me.
3: That's absolutely right. And this the thing we had this one mother who was having problems with one of her children who was a high responder and the mother was a high doer. So the doer was always busy and always busy 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 and doing wonderful things for this daughter. And the daughter didn't seem to appreciate it. And the daughter couldn't get mom just to stop and listen to her and understand. So one day the mom says you know, why don't you finish your homework? And let's you and I just go out and spend some quality time together. And I'd like to just be with you and take you shopping. And, and let's just go tell me some of the things that are going on in your life. And about 30 minutes after they were at this coffee shop drinking a Coke, and the daughter was opening up, she stopped and said, Mom, do you have cancer or something?
0: (laughs) Because she felt like you've got me alone for a reason.
3: And, and you're being so nice to me. Yeah. and You're listening to me. And, and oh, what's going on? Yeah. It was such a shock to her. And she said, no, I just love you. And I just want to be able to communicate with you and find out what's on your heart, what's going on within you. And we have employees that are quitting jobs because they think nobody cares.
0: Well, the Beatles almost broke up because everybody in the group thought nobody liked each other.
3: Exactly. And that's what happens with marriages sometimes. And people will hold on to these offenses. And, of course, we know the danger of an offense. And and pe- well, people will start holding on at like stockpiling offenses, and then they just think there's no hope, and they're ready to get a divorce. And we can show a couple how they can communicate and how they can connect with one another and how they can really, really affirm the marriage And it is just amazing. We had this one responder, when the family understood her, for this this mother, they said, well, nobody treats you that way. We don't just give you affection and and show that, that we care and that we're compassionate. We don't do that at all, do we? She said, no, you don't. And they said, would you like for us to? She said, yes, I would. It was amazing how that turned that family around. Wow.
0: Anna, I'd like to talk about that after the break. I have to go take a short break here, but when I come back, I'd love to have you explain how a husband and wife can do some uh, understanding of each other's languages and move the needle a little bit so they can not be stepping on each other's uh, pain, so to speak. All right? Yes. Good. All right. Yeah. Anna Kendall is my guest. She and her husband, Fred, wrote a book called Communication IQ. It's awesome. Seven Life Languages. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be talking to Anna Kendall. She's written a book with her husband called Communication IQ. It's a proven way to influence, lead, and motivate people. And who doesn't want to have those skills in their back pocket? Uh, Anna, right before we went to break, we were chatting about how uh, um, a husband and a wife might be able to do a little self-diagnostic with each other to help understand better what it is that uh, how, we, how we do life so we can, right. we can be kinder and understand each other better.
3: Oh, man. That's right. Well, you know, Bill, we have a profile that the the listeners can take. You can go online at lifelanguages.com. That's the way you can order the book. With the book, you get a free profile that will tell you what your first life language is. Now, if you want to go ahead and take the full life language, it costs $49. But you know, people say, I can spend that money going out to dinner and to a movie, and I've got nothing to show for it. But they can take this, and it shows you where you are in all seven of the life languages, and you get like a 20-page printout when you do that. So the life languages can be what saves a marriage. It can be what saves a child from feeling rejected, from being suicidal. And we have all kinds of testimonies from all over the world of people who've had life-changing experiences because suddenly they understand how God created them, and then they see how to value one another and how to appreciate the differences rather than to be threatened by them. So, So if you, if let's say you and your spouse take the profile and you find out you are so totally different, like, you know, it's like total reversals and you think, is there any chance for this? Absolutely. Because what we find out is the more different you are, the more balance you can bring. And it may take more effort, but it may make it stronger because when you work to understand each other, you get excited about the progress and about the goodness that comes from it. Now, you may take the profile with your spouse and you have several languages that are very much the same. We have had a few, very few couples that have even had them in the same order, but not the same uh, strengths or intensity. But even if they were totally the same, they think, okay, what does that mean? That means communicating is easy. But you have to have a, a little bit of a caution here because you can take each other for granted. If you're very different, you, it can work. If you're very much alike, it can work. It doesn't matter. It can work. And what we found is if you can communicate, you can work through financial problems, children problems, in-laws, sex, finances, whatever the problem is, if you can communicate and appreciate and understand each other, it is amazing how that's going to help you to to be able to solve all of your other problems.
0: Mm -hmm. So Anna, of course, we we live in a world where we have different uh, educational levels and social and religious backgrounds. Do those all play a, a role in the life languages? Do we gravitate towards some and others based on some of those
3: very possibly. We mm-hmm. we gravitate towards people that sometimes they challenge us, and sometimes it's because it's an easy relationship. Sometimes it's the same socioeconomic background, and sometimes it's totally different. What we have found in families, in churches, in businesses, this seems to bridge all of those gaps you thought it was maybe a gender problem or a racial problem or an education difference, is that actually it's a communication problem. I remember we were doing a workshop in a police department one time, and this woman said, and she said, you mean the reason that I have so much trouble with the people in my unit here is not because I'm a woman and not because I'm an older woman, but it's because I'm the only mover and all the rest of those are shapers and doers. We said yes. She said, "Okay, I got it." She thought it was gender or race or something, and it wasn't. It was just a different communication style.
0: Anna, when I was in, in college, I I used I took uh, many speech classes, and I I loved nonverbal communication. I thought that was so fascinating to me. How much mm-hmm. of how much of nonverbal communication plays a part in in this profile? These,
3: you know, it plays a part in all of our communication. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. I think we should all be aware of what kind of messages we're sending with our hands and with our bodies and and with our stance and with our walk and all of those things. It plays a difference. But what we've seen, again, is it seems to transition that into what is coming out through those who think first, those who feel first, and those who act first, and our being able to understand that and accept that in one another, and then we can celebrate it. So I'm sure you know that when two people are angry at each other, they're not going to be sitting facing one another. It's almost like they'll cross their legs and cross their arms and turn away from each other. Well, that's definitely, it's a punctuation mark on what. Going on within them. But if they will relax and turn all of that off and turn it around, it's amazing if they will say, I'm going to choose to understand you, and I hope you will choose to understand me. And with that choice, we can communicate and work through this. Whatever the issue is, if you choose to work through it, you will have the tools through the life languages to do that. Mm -hmm. It gives you the tools.
0: Yeah. So, Anna, let's say I'm a business owner and Maybe my employees are a little nervous around me, and I want to encourage communication and communicational growth with my staff, but they Mm -hmm. maybe feel like there's some eggshells around me when I'm walking through the office. So Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be nervous around me, but um, what can I do to encourage this communication?
3: Well, first of all, the greatest thing would be if you would profile all of them. Because sometimes, uh, like we were just doing a large company in Texas, and this is a this is a very very successful company. The the man who owns the company is a mover and he had his executive staff, most of them were high movers and high shapers. Most of his employees were responders and doers. They did not feel connected to the owner or to the executive team. So after we profiled the executive team and we said, you know, your relational languages are pretty far down the scale. That means you need to purposefully speak responder and influencer. When you start a meeting, instead of jumping right in saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what we need to correct. This is what we're going to, the goals that we're going to have. Stop and say, is everybody okay? Does anybody have a need that you'd like to talk about? Hmm. Anything bothering you before we get started? Let them know that you care. Then be encouraging. Say, whatever the problem is, I know that we're going to be able to resolve it. We are here together and we're for you. Just changing some of the communicate, go to your your influencer and your responder and speak those languages and watch the employees melt and say, you know, they really do care about us. It's not just what we do. They care about us and it will make a difference in a company.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that Jesus spoke all these languages and can you can you think of a a favorite example of yours from scripture where Jesus moved in a certain way and was showing a side of one of these languages that was i mean you talked earlier about Absolutely. you know being a doer Absolutely. and yeah and I-
3: Yes, and I can sh- give you some biblical examples also. Like the the mover, we said that's John the Baptist or that's yeah. Elijah, and Jesus was speaking that when he turned over the money changers. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, right and wrong. They see things in black and white. The doer would be Moses. You know, Moses had the patience to put up with these people for all of those years. If he'd been a mover, he would have said, I'm out of here in four or five <laughs> days. You can come with me if you right. want to. You know, But Moses was patient, and, and he was proud and he was dedicated, and he was diligent. You see Jesus as a doer when he washed the feet of the disciples. You see that he was serving them. Mm-hmm. Okay, the influencer, you know, you see Jesus when, he, in, when he's in his cur- encouraging words like, respect one another, honor one another, prefer one another, encourage one another. And he was very much into the one another and the speaking the positives. Uh, another example of a biblical influencer would be Peter. You know, he talked and talked and talked until he thought of something to say. And so Peter was definitely that encourager, the persuasive encourager. You see the responder in King David You know, King David could go out there and fight his battles and slay the tens of thousands, but he was a responder. He wrote music to the Lord. He sang. He wrote poetry. He had the gentle heart of the man that loved God with all of his heart. You know, he was a man after God's own heart. So the responder is not a wimpy language. It's the number one language of quarterbacks and boxers, as well as, preachers and ministers and nurses and doctors. So but so you can see that in in King David. And you see that in Jesus when he sat and looked over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, I would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, weeping over the sins that he saw in Jerusalem. Okay. So then we go to the shaper. The shaper, you see that in Jesus organized the people and sent them out two by two. He was a great organizer. Not only that, but you see that in Nehemiah, who was able to go back, build the walls around Jerusalem. And he He did it with with great strategy. He didn't. He stayed focused, efficient, organized, and he didn't let any of the detractors take him from that. You see the the power of the producer in Joseph. Joseph was able to to you know bring together all of the resources enough to feed a nation. And of course, he was. You see that in. Not only did he save Egypt, but he had. Had it left over for Israel, too. And then, of course, the contemplator, you see that in Jesus when he was a child and he was in the temple asking questions, seeking more knowledge, trying to gain more information. And of course, they were already astounded by how much he knew. So you can see Jesus in all of the different languages, as well as see different biblical characters.
0: That's fantastic. And tell Fred that, you know, we missed him. And maybe next time.
3: Well, he... He would love to do it, and he was trying to get back, but you know those movers? They've always got one oh, more I thing know. they're trying to I know, oh, so, I know. But I hope you'll call and we can do it again with friends.
0: Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.